0: The Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast that brings you the thought and theology of New Testament scholar and former Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright. This is Justin, head of Theology and Apologetics for Premier Unbelievable, and the show brought to you in partnership, as usual, with Tom's UK publisher, SBCK, and N.T. Wright Online, who publish Tom's video teaching courses. And it's a hot and sweltering UK that we bring you this week's show from. We've had record temperatures, but I hope it's been bearable, even temperate, wherever you're listening to the show from. And today on the show, we're asking, how do I reconcile evolution, the fall, and original sin? Tom will be responding to questions, including, if evolution is true, then physical death existed before the fall. But how do we reconcile that with scripture? And how do we reconcile evolution with the concept of a first man and woman and original sin? And did the fall also affect the rest of the universe? By the way, I had a lovely message this week from Hannah's who said, I'm thrilled to be part of the Unbelievable and Ask N.T. write Anything family. Although I've studied theology and also completed a master's degree in death-related counselling, it was really exposure to N.T. teaching that caused transformation in my heart and mind. I've actually followed Enty Wright, John Lennox, Justin Dallas Willard, and many others on The Unbelievable Show. I wish to thank Justin and especially N.T. Wright for opening my spiritual eyes. A wonderful experience. The real Jesus, the truths about the kingdom, the background of the first Christians, and refreshing perspectives on the various issues pertaining to the New Testament. It certainly was not my experience during the time of my studies, most regrettable. The wasted years must be bemoaned, but also transformed. To a brand new time of understanding. Gosh, I'm, I'm so grateful that the show has been helpful on your particular journey, Hannah's, and uh, God bless you for getting in touch. If you'd like to rate and review us yourself on your podcast provider, it does help others to discover us. And do check out PremierUnbelievable.com for more episodes from the Ask NT Write Anything podcast and all our other great podcasts and video shows. It's the place where skeptics can explore faith and Christians can understand, defend and share their faith with confidence. Again, that's premierunbelievable.com. For now, into today's show. Well, it's a delight to be joined by N.T. Wright again for today's show. We're going to be uh, looking at a couple of episodes where we look at your questions around the fall, around sin, around creation, evolution, childbirth, and that sort of thing. Um, And uh, we've got questions from Romania and Worcester, as well, and various other parts of the world coming up. Um, Tom, welcome back to the show. Uh, you've uh, you've been busy recently. I know that you've been out uh, out in Texas. Tell us what, what you were doing there recently. This is
1: my my first transatlantic trip since um, I think November 2019 because of the pandemic. Um, normally, I would go to America three or four or five times a year, but that's been all. Um, held over and so finally I got to go um, and do some lectures in Houston and then in Waco Truett Seminary there which was great Um, very hot um, reminding myself just how different Texas is in terms of climate
0: to where I normally live but there we are it was great fun and to see old friends and so on good wonderful stuff Um, and any particular projects in the timeline at the moment Tom I know you're always always busy with one thing or another
1: Well the lectures I did in Waco, um, I did 10 lectures covering uh, Romans chapter 8, 10 lectures on a single chapter, it happens to be one of the most important chapters in the Bible, Um, and so I was able to walk through very slowly, this was a development of lectures that I'd done at Wycliffe Hall um, last autumn, Uh, there they were I think half an hour lectures, these were more like 45 minute lectures, so I was able to expand them a bit and um, for me, um, having studied Romans all my life, it was fascinating to be able to spend time um, again getting down, as the phrase now is, into the weeds of it all and into the into the deep interconnections and and discover some things which uh, I guess we're not going to talk about them today, but which are really quite important in terms
0: of how we read Paul as a whole. Mm, well good well perhaps we I can, hope that's not too tantalizing <laughs> no well perhaps we'll benefit from the fruits of that you know at some point in the future but uh but good 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 to see you again um we're go- as i said we're going to be talking about the fall on today's show um in fact the first question from phil in uh phil musk in the uk it, it relates to john polkinghorn who he's obviously been reading um john Polkinghorne, of course passed away um uh, i think last year um did you know john at all while while he was active Yes, I did. We,
1: I, I did know John. We were on the Church of England Doctrine Commission together. He was a genial, obviously brilliant physicist as well as theologian, um, but he was a cheerful, um, uh, uh, friendly chap who's good to be around, Always, always fun to be around, as well as hugely intellectually
0: stimulating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you get a chance to go and listen or watch anything that that John Polkinghorne did, uh, you'll you'll find him a fascinating individual. Um, but here's here's Phil's question, which is: I've been a devotee of your podcast since its inception. Thank you very much, Phil. Although initially bewildered to learn that my faith was based on Platonic dualism and not really biblical. Thanks to the podcast, I now have a much better understanding of Christian theology and great respect for Tom's wisdom, understanding and knowledge. Now, in the Polkinghorne Reader, Science, Faith and the Search for Meaning, John Polkinghorne shows that evolutionary biology and Christian theology can quite successfully be brought together. However, Polkinghorne seems to assume a fallen state existed when life occurred rather than there being... A specific event once humans came into being what is the best way to understand the fall it seems fundamental to Christian theology and to correctly understand the state of the world and from Genesis it looks to me like physical death might have existed pre-fall and therefore evolution pre-fall would be a possibility so is there a biblical way of understanding the fall which also allies it with evolutionary biology that's Phil's question Tom go ahead <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Phil. And when I read this question, when Justin sent them to me, um, I thought, okay, there's at least one book to be written on this, uh, probably (laughs) four or five, because um, quite neatly, this question has covered several enormous interlocking topics in Mm -hmm. theology, in biblical studies, etc. Let me say one thing first. uh, We have to distinguish between the evidence for biological evolution and the worldview which we might loosely call evolutionism. The worldview which is evolutionism is a modern form of ancient Epicureanism according to which since God or the gods are out of the picture and don't intervene, everything that happens in the world happens under its own steam. The problem is that just at the same time and with some of the same people who were researching biological evolution in the 18th and 19th century, there was also a, a drift towards modern forms of Epicureanism and evolutionism so that they so they tried to claim that the things which were evidence for biological evolution within species or of species etc. were actually evidence for um, uh, essentially a, a god outside the picture. World View uh, Epicureanism or um, some form of deism, perhaps. And that, of course, was enormously popular for quite other reasons, particularly political reasons, that if God is no longer in the picture, he's not going to intervene. We can do what we like. We can run the world our way. And so people have then reacted against biological evolution as though it automatically means evolutionism, which it simply doesn't. And in fact, when Darwin's Origin of Species came out, several deeply orthodox theologians in North America and elsewhere simply said, well, if that's how God did it, that's how God did it. Um, In other words, it doesn't mean that evolutionism is true. It just means we have a greater understanding into the ways of the creator. That would be the position that I would take Mm. now. And uh, of course, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and on beyond, are are very specialized, very tightly constructed. Um, People often say poetic, not in the sense that it rhymes or scans, but uh, in the sense that it's, uh, it's a vivid image of the great truth about God the Creator making a world which is other than himself, but of which God says it is very good. And that's a way of saying that all the things that we see, perceive and feel to be wrong in the world are not actually the best intention of God the Creator. However, God the creator builds into creation right from the start and um, well from the sixth day, uh, day in inverted commas, um, this creature called humans, male and female, who are to reflect his image into the world, who are to be his co-workers in the project of creation because creation isn't a, a tableau. Look, here it is like a picture on the wall it's a project, it's going somewhere. And the problem of the fall is that where God intended it to go was aborted because the humans who were supposed to be taking the project forwards decided to rebel and to take a different project forwards, namely their own self-aggrandizement. And you can see that then woven into biblical theology all the way through. But the truth of Genesis 1 and 2 is a way of saying this was not God's intention. This was not how it was meant to be. Now, of course, there is plenty of evidence in the the the, the archaeological fossil records, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that there were all sorts of phenomena uh, long before Homo sapiens appeared on the earth, and there were other forms of hominids. I don't know very much about this, but from what little I've read, that looks to be the case. And this, of course, explains not only the giants and people later on, who are they? How do they relate to the Adamic line? But also simple questions like where did Cain get his wife from and and, and issues like that, um, mm-hmm. which people have been aware of for, for years without it really troubling them. In other words, it looks to me as though um, what we're seeing in Genesis 1 and 2 is God's call to one particular hominid pair to become God reflectors, to become image bearers in God's creation, and God is saying, "Now I want you to take forward this project of beauty and 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 creativity and love and glory, etc." Um, not that there weren't any other similar creatures around, but that they were chosen, rather like Abraham and Sarah were chosen in mm. in Genesis eleven and twelve. Um, that God says, now I've got this project for you. And that's the analogy that I see because there's lots of, of overlaps between what is said about um, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2 and what is said about Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 and forwards from there. So that's that's where I would come at it. Um, hmm. I think part of the problem is that uh, our theologies in the Western world, have got very rigid in terms of an analysis of the fall and then sin and death. And I think Genesis is saying it's somewhere like this. It's something like this. These are truths which we can only really grasp by, by singing them, by, by writing poetry about them, by, by long meditation and so on. And remember this, evil does not have a logical, proper place in God's good creation, so that all our language about evil, whether evil powers or the fact of evil or the result of evil, is always philosophically speaking absurd it doesn't actually belong within an account of god's world the way it's meant to be so our dilemma about how to talk about the origin of evil etc reflects itself that great central truth that this is not how it's meant to be so we don't have uh, an easy way of factoring in what we want to say about evil and sin and death into our overall picture and that's just the way we are and um, we ourselves mm. being part of the problem as well as God willing part of the solution.
0: That, that's a really helpful introduction to, to the whole area which I, I, and you've tried to encapsulate in just a few minutes what is obviously something you could fill a whole book with we've got other questions you know that continue to draw out some of these issues um and i forgive me if i'm pronouncing your name wrong but someone who i think is called Ionut in romania says greetings how should or could we understand or interpret the biblical account about the existence of a first man and woman especially about the origin of the woman from the side of the man uh, and about the original sin especially women's implication in it in the context or in the light of the theory and very probable existence of evolution. So again, similar-ish sort of question, um, I, mean, I suppose Phil specifically deals with the issue of physical death and the fall. This one, this concept of the idea of, of sin going back to that first decision in the garden and so on in the story um, and a first man and woman. Um, so there's, there's, again, a lot to unpack there. But, but how would you reconcile the, this concept and perhaps you want to rethink the concept altogether, Tom?
1: I'm not an expert on what the um, alternative ancient uh, views of the origin of of men and women uh, may have been at the time, but it seems to me that one of the many things that Genesis may be saying about um, Eve being made out of the, the rib of Adam is that Eve and Adam are meant to be complementary. I know that that's a very loaded word these days and I'm not building in there anything Mm, about mm. subsequent gender roles in ministry etc. But they're meant to work together, in other words over against philosophies which would see uh, masculinity as the genuine article and femininity as somehow uh, a subordinate, secondary um, almost reprehensible reality in itself, moving towards Aristotle's view. Um, Genesis is saying no, they absolutely belong together and the sense of joy in Adam saying this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh um, it it, it speaks of a rich happy uh, effective creative partnership rather than a subordination and I think that that's really really important. The trouble is again through the middle ages and through into western theology and both in catholic theology and in some forms of protestant theology um, there have been various attempts made to blame Eve for everything um, uh, you you see that in some interpretations of First Timothy, though I suspect we shouldn't get into that just now. Um, but also that the sense that uh, that the woman is somehow um, she's not getting it she's, she's or getting things wrong and that it's her fault that Adam is led and led astray etc which actually doesn't make sense because if that were so then Adam should have said no Eve we don't eat that stuff and you know that perfectly well or whatever um, so uh, I'm not sure that we should try to um, take those basically um, ancient Near Eastern texts, texts which were probably written roughly a thousand or more years before Jesus and probably edited roughly 500 years or so before Jesus. I don't think we can take those texts and simply try to get from them answers to questions which became important for some theologians in some circles um, within the last thousand years in the Western world. And um, I think so. I think there's a basic problem there, and we have to back off. There's a certain epistemic humility required of us when we take these precious, fragile texts and try and force them to fit the categories it's like mm. taking a uh, an electrical appliance which has um, a particular kind of plug and trying to force it into a socket which was made for a different kind of plug and um, we all mm. know that if we have smartphones and and our, our, our nearest and dearest have a different kind of smartphone no this one doesn't work here and I want to say that about quite a lot of
0: potential theological join-ups no this one doesn't actually work there. So where where do you go with the question of original sin then just to come back to in question uh, what what is there something that happened in you know in that early
1: stage and the question of what we call original sin um comes into Western theology with Augustine, and it's Augustine's reading of Romans chapter five verses twelve and following, which is the real problem that uh, Augustine basically was reading the New Testament in Latin. Uh, he probably understood some Greek, but that was not where he where he lived, as it were. And he read romans five twelve uh, in terms of um uh, Adam being the one in whom all sinned um, and that's not what the Greek text says and so he was trying to find a way of explaining the origin of sin by this one act which then creates a sinful species and I think that the biblical account is is much more subtle than that. When I was first reading Romans um, as a New Testament scholar trying to understand this stuff I realized to my surprise that there is no Jewish doctrine of original sin. Um that the Jews who knew Genesis extremely well and uh, soaked themselves in the Torah uh, and, and in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, they did not develop any equivalent theology of original sin, nor is it there in the second and third centuries. It's only with Augustine that he pulls it together and it's part of his battle with Pelagius. And this is of course again and again a problem in theology, that people are faced with one particular battle and they see all other issues in relation to that that Uh, an American friend sent me a book that he's just written uh, which was all about one particular battle in his particular church circles and I was reading it last night and thinking this is fascinating stuff but I don't know anyone who is involved in those battles and I don't think we have that particular battle in the UK at all or hardly noticeable and I think that happens Mm. again and again in theology so we have to back off and say yes there is something mysterious going on here in Romans 5 12 to 21 um picking up of course the language of Genesis but it's a way of saying that that ever since um, the original human pair called to be God's image bearers out of as I said before the, the, the presumed hominids who were around at the time um, those the pair that were called to take forward God's project towards his ultimate new creation rebel and God doesn't then say okay well we'll cut the thing right there. He nearly does with um, the the flood and Noah and all that, but, but no, he persists in saying, we're going to work through human beings because that's how my creation was designed to work. And I think there's a Christological meaning to that, that God creates humans in his own image against the day when he will come himself and be a human within his own creation. And that's a very profound thing to say. And then ultimately, and this is perhaps the, the, the ultimate answer to this question, we only really discover what the problem was when we see what the solution was, and when and with the solution comes at the climax of all four Gospels, when the God who became human, who lived and walked among us and announced that this was the time for God to become king, when this man Jesus died on the cross. And it's only in retrospect that Paul can look back and say, oh my goodness, now at last, I can see just how devastating a plight we were in. But it's not something that Paul before could have read out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So I think that's, that's the most important thing, the hermeneutical issue. We ultimately have to start with what God has revealed in Jesus. And part of what he's revealed is that sin was that bad, um, and and mm. death was that mm. terrible, and that this is what it required to put it right. But again, this doesn't give us, and I think Augustine and the whole tradition of the Western theology from Augustine onwards was, was da- in danger there to say, we can now produce this precise theory of how
0: original sure. sin actually works. Well, one more question uh, from Timothy in Worcester. Um, it says we know our physical world was affected by the fall. Sin impacted the natural context in which we live. But did it also affect the heavens? When space probes bring rocks from Mars, etc., I find myself wondering what impact, if any, the fall had on the heavens, the stars, outer space, and so on. Well, just before we tackle the outer space sort of question, the, the rest of the you know the heavens. I, I mean, firstly, do you agree? with tim's statement there that we know our physical world was affected by the fall how do you take that tom would you say there was a physical outworking of this rebellion that happened
1: i think insofar as using the standard image adam and eve are called to look after the garden when they rebel the garden rebels as well um, you know it's it's a standard thing that um, God created humans to look after his world and when they say no we're going to do our own thing we're going to exploit this world for our own purposes then the garden goes to rack and ruin and brings forth thorns and thistles and that is no doubt a, a vivid metaphor but also I think uh, a, a reality and we can see it writ large all around us at the moment with the ecological crisis etc so I, I do think there's a direct causal connection there even though we can't trace all the particular ramifications of it, and even though there are some things in what we call the natural world, um, you know, like... Uh, tiny little insects whose whole life is to prey on mm. and to eat from inside other creatures, etc. I mean, I, I, I know about that stuff. It doesn't make me think uh, the whole picture must be wrong. It merely makes me think there is more mystery there than I or probably anyone else is ever going to understand in this in this present life. Um, so so that that's where I would start with that. But uh, mm. let me say the questioner uses the word the heavens um, in a very uh, very much a sense of outer space within our cosmos. Um, the Bible uses mm. the word "heavens" sometimes to refer to the sky, but often to refer to God's space, which is not another location within our cosmos, but a different kind of space intersecting with our world mm. in various Complex and puzzling ways. Um, so when I first read this question, I thought it was going to be about um, the, the the battle in heaven in Revelation, with um, Michael and his angels fighting against the devil and his angels. Um, and and clearly there is something going on there, which again is very mysterious and and. Uh, it challenges our assumptions about how the cosmos actually works, how the total cosmos, that is, our world and God's world and how they work together. But it looks as though there is something uh, about God's world which also involved Um, subordinate beings, angels etc, and that there was a rebellion in that world which goes with and in some theologies actually preceded the rebellion in our world which is why there's a snake in the garden etc etc. Again this is a very mysterious area. I know people who specialize in it and I am not one of them but that's that's kind of mapping out where the problem lies. So in terms of then our, what we call outer space, um, the stars, the planets, etc., cetera, um, I don't think we have any means of knowing right now whether human sin, human rebellion affected uh, any aspects of meteorites, planets, stars, galaxies, black holes, etc. I just don't think we know that. I don't even think that John Polkinghorne knew that (laughs) and he would have known it if anyone did. Um, uh, But uh, And and I think this question or or one of the others cited C.S. Lewis's planetary trilogy, um, mm. uh, Out of the Silent Planet, Voyage to Venus, and then that hideous strength. And Lewis was exploring that, supposing in other worlds there was a perfect world, and or supposing that a rebellion happened in those other worlds as well. Then what? Um, again, these are ways of projecting ideas outwards. I'm not sure there are any more than that. I'm not sure that we can actually say for sure this is how it actually is or was.
0: Well, thank you very much for doing what you can in in you know trying to answer some of the uh, these big questions. And um, we will come to in a future episode of the show aliens and outer space again, uh, as you mentioned, Tom. So uh, so look forward to that. But um, for now, um, we're going to give it a pause here, and we'll pick it up again next time as we continue to look at fall and sin, and particularly the issue of childbirth as well of a couple of people uh writing in about that so we we look forward to to picking this up again but for now thank you very much for being with me this week tom thank you good to be here Well, thank you for being with us on today's show. And next time, we've more questions from you about Eden and the fall, including why did God make childbirth difficult? Let's see how Tom handles that one. If you want more from the show, including ways to support us so we can create more of these conversations around thinking faith, do check the links with today's podcast or go to premierunbelievable.com. For now, thanks for being with us and see you next time.